If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fox Nation presents podcasts. This is so amazing. It would make, you know, an incredible movie. Mm -hmm. If we would just take the time to read some of these scenarios, we would be totally fascinated. Women of the Bible Speak. Now here's your host, Shannon Breen. Welcome to Women of the Bible Speak podcast. I'm your host and author of the book, Shannon Breen. Whether you grew up going to Sunday school and reading the Bible, or you haven't read it in years, there are so many inspiring and timeless stories in the Bible, and many people don't realize what a big role women played in these stories. These women I write about are dealing with things that are still relevant to the women of 2021. They are all amazing lessons that fit today that we can all find inspiration and hope from. Joining us today is, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not going to insult the other guests. She is my favorite and for good reason. Um, and because of the person that she picked to talk about today, Marie Norris, the one and only educator, speaker, inspirer, mother of mine. Mom, thanks for agreeing to do the podcast. You're hard to book, but I'm glad that we made, we met your list of demands. Hey, sweetie. Good to talk with you. Okay. So, um, you and I uh, grew up, well, at least I grew up under you in that we were very involved in church. I went to Christian school. You taught there. So I like to tell people that I thought I knew a lot about these women and these stories when I started working on the book, but I learned a ton. Um, and for other people, um, they may not have any faith background or know any of these stories at all. So there's really something for everybody. Um, but I got to ask you, because when we wrote about Tamar, your selection in the book, I talk about the fact that she is not an easy Sunday school lesson uh, of all of the people in this book. Why in the heck did you pick her? I always enjoy a challenge. You know that. <laughs> you and I, always, I always pick the underdog, which was not you. But when I heard the word Tamar and you gave me a little glimpse of her, I thought, that's my girl. I need to find out about her. I knew nothing about her. So thanks for the challenge. And I learned quite a bit, and I learned some from you, too, about Tamar, but she's a mighty interesting <laughs> Interesting is a good word. Let me you took me down story. a path I did not intend to go. Well, but, I'm, I'm glad we're going okay. together. Let yep. me tell people a little bit about her. And um, she was somebody who married into the family that comes down from Abraham and that, and that whole lineage. She was married into the family and we're told that her first husband was so wicked. Um, he basically was bye-bye time. He had to go. He did not survive. And the old custom then was that the next son in line would marry that widow. And the first child she had son would be an heir that would be recognized as her original husband's son or heir to carry on his name. So it required the next husband or the next brother to kind of give up that first heir and say, that'll be recognized as my dead brother's heir. So she marries the second husband, the second son, 
And he doesn't want to have any part of that, apparently, because he wants to sleep with her. But he does what he has to do to make sure she doesn't actually get pregnant. And we'll just keep it PG right here for that. Okay. Okay. So, uh, So God finds him so wicked that he kills him. So then now she's double widowed and her father-in-law has another son and says to her, like, well, he's too young for you and sends her away back to her family. But we discover, we don't really think the father-in-law is ever going to give her son number three. And listen, he had two sons who were dead now. Maybe he thought she was a curse. I don't know, but it puts her in a very tenuous position. That is so true. Now that you've told the whole story, bye. Oh, no, no. The good stuff is still to come. (laughs) The bad setup to the story and several twists and turns are still coming. Um, But the bad part of the story that sets us up to here is, I mean, she I can't imagine how she must have felt. And back in the day, of course, she had no privilege, very little rights. And this was her opportunity to marry well. And it was Judah which let's remember her father. He is, he is also the brother of the amazing Joseph that Judah did rescue from the pit. So that's the timeline we're talking about over 1500 years ago, long, long time ago. So back then, you know, people like now make things happen according to their timeline. So here's this gal She's thinking, I don't have husband number one, husband number two, and this youngster in waiting, I'm not so sure I'm going to get him. But when he did become of age and she found out, um, daddy's keeping him from me, I'm going to have to think of a plot. And that's where it gets very interesting. You want to take it from here? You go, girl. This is the non-Sunday school part. So Tamar, who's now double widowed, Feels like her father-in-law is going to double cross her and not give her son number three, which was really her only opportunity. As you said, women then um, needed a male provider, protector, somebody that would, whether it was a son or a husband, somebody to watch over them. And she's kind of floating around at this point with no real protector. Um, So she comes up with this point because now her father-in-law, Judah, is a widower. She knows he's going to be traveling. And she decides to disguise herself along the way and sort of run into him in his travels. She does, and he doesn't recognize her. And mom, then what happens? Well, uh, our little friend Tamar decides to make a very interesting plot. So she knows that her father-in-law, do I have to repeat that? Her father-in-law, he comes along. He's been out with this man. They've had a good time with their sheep business. And he's probably been celebrating a little bit. So he comes along and in the gate, he sees entertainment in the form of a harlot, which is really his own daughter-in-law that he doesn't recognize. She's taken off her widow's cloak. She's put on this harlot outfit. Let's just say, AKA prostitute. She's available. So he is looking for a little bit of love and he invites her for a job. So, um, but Tamar has thought this out. She has her total plot in, in line. And she says, well, that sounds like a good idea, but I must know that, um, you are going to return a favor to me. And he said, well, I, 
I will bring a kid to you the next time I'm in town with, you know, a goat. And they don't mean somebody like the greatest of all American, not that kind of goat. So anyway, he said, well, I don't have anything now. But she said, well, uh, I need a pledge that you will return. She has not performed the act as it were yet. So he takes off his signet, which I'm assuming is some kind of a ring. There's cords or a bracelet and a staff. And a staff back in the day also indicated a form of authority. They had their lineage on that staff, and it was recognizable by the, by the person who owned it. So here are three viable items. Now she's got him. She goes in to perform the act, and he leaves. So she takes off her harlot's outfit as if she was never there, puts back on her widow's outfit. You want to take it from there? Yeah. He has sort of um, no idea that it was ever her at that point. She has these very personal things from him, the signet ring, you mentioned the cord, the staff. And so she knows that she has got proof of what happened. So she goes back home. He's back home. He at one point does send, I believe, a servant or somebody to go back to say, let me finish this deal, get my stuff back, pay this woman. And nobody knows anything about her in town. Nobody's like, we don't know this prostitute or as my mom says, harlot, which sounds very, that sounds nicer. Um, Same thing. Um, Nobody knows about her. And so the guy sort of comes home and says, well, I don't, you know, want to push this because I don't want to embarrass myself. We're just going to let it go. And then within a few months, he gets word because she can't hide it anymore that Tamar is pregnant. Now, Judah who had no use for her, this daughter-in-law widowed two sons, not looking like he's going to give her the third. He just sent her home back to her family. So he hasn't worried about her that we can see in the Bible. He hasn't talked about her. He hasn't thought about how she's doing or what her situation is going to be until he hears now that everybody knows she's pregnant and he feels like it's bringing shame in that time on his family. So he makes some demands once he finds that out. So he thinks, well, we better take care of this problem. It's no longer out of sight, out of mind. A pregnancy has been discovered. So they, um, you know, shame has been involved with a lot of outwed pregnancies. And that's not much, not the case much any longer. But back then, it was, it was shame and embarrassment to the whole family. So he said, we have got to deal with this. And as the custom, he calls for her. He is ready to burn the woman alive. I mean, think about that. He's, yeah. he's really left her at this point with no viable options for making it in this time period. And now he, now he cares about what's going on with her. And he's so upset that he says, yes, bring her to be burned alive. Now, on her way to go see him, she sends ahead what would be the, you know, you are the daddy Mori Povich time of that day, which is the only thing you'd have closest to DNA, which is the signet ring, the cord and the staff and sends it along with a message to him. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these things. She didn't do it publicly. She could have humiliated him, but she sends him that message. And I wonder if it's to give him a chance to save face, to say, you know what? I was in the wrong here. I did the wrong thing. And the Bible tells us, um, she said, see if you recognize whose seal and court and staff these are in Genesis 38. So what he did was when he was confronted with those, he said, she is more righteous than I, 
since I wouldn't give her my son, Shayla, which would have been the third son. So instead of denying it, um, you know, having her burned at the stake and never acknowledging that he got these materials, which I can see a scenario, which he probably would have been able to do that and say, well, no one's going to believe her. Let's just get rid of this problem. He instead admits she's more righteous than I am. Now, being faking being a prostitute to sleep with your father-in-law sounds like one of the worst decisions that you could ever make. And yet in that he recognized, he said, she's more righteous than I am because I wasn't going to give her my son. It's not that what she did was okay, but he recognized his faults in the matter. Um, And as we see, as this plays out, it actually, God uses it. She ends up that she's pregnant with twins. One of the twins that she has is mentioned in the lineage of David. And then onto Jesus, she's one of only three women who are mentioned in the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus. And so the fact that her story is included and it is not sanitized and it is kind of tawdry, but that God made something of her bad decisions. I love that because I feel like all of us get off track or make bad decisions at some point, but good can still come from us making a mess of things. That's what I take from Tamar. We'll have more of this interview coming up. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Also, as in reading in Genesis 38 about this scenario, and this is so amazing, it would make you know, an incredible movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, if we would just take the time to read some of these scenarios, we would be totally fascinated. But the thing about the birth of the children, that's so interesting too. Tamar's children by Judah, her father-in-law, Ew. she had these two babies, but be- before the babies were even born, this was so cool. Uh, there was a midwife there. She was in travail and out popped a little hand. Well, the midwife surely thought that that was the first son that needed to be acknowledged to inherit the privileges. So the the midwife put a little red cord like we do with puppies, pink cord, red cord, yellow cord, green cord, so we can tell them apart. But these weren't puppies. These were babies. These were Judah's babies. And there was a little red cord around his arm. And yet... He went back in, and um, when he came out, I'm, I'm a little confused, Shannon. Help me with this. His name, uh, Zara, was the one with the cord. He ended up being born second because the stinker behind him got ahead of him, and his name was Perez, who is in the lineage of Jesus through David, and because he was a breach uh, in there, he's uh, like a, bre- a breach. He came through, and his name reflects that that breach birth because he came out first. The little scarlet guy with the scarlet thread actually came out second. So Ferris then became the firstborn. 
And I think about how horrible her, think about how horrible her labor must have been. That you had one baby close enough to coming out that you see his little hand and he gets the cord on. And then he goes back in there and the other brother and they're moving around and, and the birth orders totally change by the time these babies get out. And you think about how childbirth in those days is obviously very different than what we have now. I can't imagine what she was going through in this whole process. And I wonder at what point um, she knew she had twins because they were obviously looking at two different babies coming through. So they had some way to figure that out. It's not like when you had me, which you tell me they drugged you up and then all of a sudden you had a baby and you were like, did I have a boy? Did I have a girl? What happened? (laughs) They were awake for the whole thing back then, as far as we know, with whatever medicinal things they had going on. So, yeah, I mean, nothing about this was easy. And it's crazy that Tamar finally gets a child. It's from her father-in-law and she gets two boys, um, which in those times um, would have been seen as very much a blessing, God blessing her with these children, with multiple children. And I always wonder what the relationship was like with her and Judah moving forward. I mean, these were his boys and how they came about was very unusual, but like we've said, it ends up that they're key members in the genealogy of other, you know, critical members of the Bible, including Jesus, uh, that we as Christians believe is the savior. So um, they didn't sanitize that and take Tamar out of the genealogy. I mean, she specifically mentioned. So I feel like a lot of times people think characters in the Bible, just a bunch of old, boring guys, or, you know, men and women who were perfect, who had deep faith, who never flawed, but almost everybody in the Bible is flawed, super flawed. And I think that should be an encouragement. When we began this study, Shannon, you and I really kind of felt like Tamar was considered one of the bad girls in the Bible. Yeah. But in actuality, as we see her her passion, her desire to bring an heir to her first husband's family, she was so um, um, in earnest to do that. And in a sense, she was following up her commission to complete her task. Her task was to comp- to um, produce an heir. And that was what she was committed to doing at all costs, any way she had to. And for people who have a passion, are we to judge them? Are we to say, now that, you know, that would not be the way we would do things. But then you look at Ruth on the other side. Uh, Because on your chapter of Tamar, you have Ruth as well. And here in studying Ruth, who she mentions at her uh, betrothal to Boaz, and most of us know that wonderful story. We'll talk about it just a little bit. Pharez, this twin, the breacher that Tamar bare to Judah, is actually in the beautiful story of Ruth. And to be like that and to be blessed like that to not be left without a kinsman. And that is what Tamar was going for, the kinsman. And yet when you see the intentions of Ruth, when her her husband died, her mother-in-law was leaving town, going back to her home. And her mother-in-law said to Ruth, which we consider a good girl. And she said, you need to go back home. They were hugging. They were weeping. First of all, I think Ruth, a Moabite in a foreign land where these people had come, we don't know if it was in God's will or out of God's will, but they came 
married into the Moabitess. Ruth was the woman who was married to one of the sons of Naomi. And when Naomi goes back home, she is broken. She's lost her husband. Her two sons have died. She has two daughter-in-laws with no husband. And yet Ruth said, I must follow you. And, and even in my wedding ceremony, the song was sung of Ruth. Entreat me not to leave you. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And I do believe that Naomi and her late husband and Limelech must have taught their sons and their sons must have taught their wives because here was this gal, Ruth. She left her land. She left her parents. She left her gods and she was willing to follow Naomi. And, and she didn't do it for any reason. And then when she gets to Naomi's land and she goes out and she's merely picking up she's in in a man's garden she's picking up the leftovers of the leftovers and she's thankful to do that but when she comes back home um, she has a story to tell her mother-in-law Naomi uh, about the man who has she has found grace in his eyes but the whole thing came about when Boaz, whose field she was in, who was a near kinsman, who was going to redeem her. She, he, she said to him, why have I found grace in thy eyes that you are blessing me as a stranger? You, you told me not to go into another field. You told me not to go away with uh, leave your maidens. You told the men not to touch me, told me to drink from their drinks. And he said, I have seen you fully. You have been shown fully to me and all that you have done to your mother-in-law and you have left your father and mother. You've left your land. You have come to a people which you didn't even know. And because of Ruth's sacrifice and her gift to her mother-in-law, she got so blessed. And she was about a thousand years after Tamar and Judah's story. Yeah, so, and, and and the whole weaving together of those two is that they were outsiders and they made very different decisions about how to um, move forward in their lives after being widowed. They were both widows and, and faced a lot of the same challenges, went about them different ways. Um, one, more faithful in the way that we would expect and gave up everything, as you said, to follow her mother-in-law to make sure that Naomi would get home safely. Um, at a time when Naomi was saying to her, no, you're young, go find another husband. You can still have a life. Um, but in her kindness and faithfulness to Naomi, she found another way forward out of widowhood. Um, and again, is a part of uh, the story of, of Christ. So both of them together in this chapter, we view as outsiders who go through tragedy. They view with them in different ways. They have different plans and yet God redeems all of it. And that's the point of that chapter. And so I'm glad you picked that one fake prostitute and all, although if she actually did what she did, maybe she was a prostitute just for one night. But still, Tamar's story was important. Ruth and Naomi, too. There's a lot more detail. And I hope folks will enjoy it. And women of the Bible speak. These 16 women, and I threw in a few extra uh, in the last chapter, too. All of them have lessons for us today. But I hope they'll be encouraging. And especially to remember that when we get off track, it can still be redeemed for good. Well, Absolutely. You. Love you, sweetheart. Thank you for inviting me into your book club. I love you, too. You'll still be my favorite guest of all time. God bless you. Thanks for being with me, Mom. Love you. Thank you for listening to Women of the Bible Speak on the Fox News Podcast Network. 
For more of this podcast series, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. Please rate and review this one wherever you download podcasts. We want to hear what inspires you. My book, Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today is out March 30th and available for pre-order right now at foxnews.com slash books. This has been Fox News Presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.